With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The all-new Chevy Colorado is made for more. Stacked with the latest in-vehicle technologies like a class-leading 11-inch diagonal center touchscreen and an extra-large wireless charging pad. Plus, it features wireless Apple CarPlay and Android Auto compatibility to make staying connected easy wherever your adventure takes you. Chevy Colorado. Made for more. Learn more at Chevrolet.com slash truck slash Colorado. Claims based on latest competitive data. This is the On The Banks podcast. Follow us on Twitter at OTB underscore SB Nation. Now, here's your host, Aaron Brightman. Hello and welcome to episode 103 of the On The Banks podcast. This is Aaron Brightman, your host and managing editor of OnTheBanks.com. Thanks so much for joining us again. And we are here the last week of August, first week of September, leading up to Labor Day. An exciting time at Rutgers. Fall sports are officially underway. The women's soccer team is 2-0, ranked nationally. Field hockey beat number 12 Duke this past weekend. They're 2-0. Women's volleyball had a good start to their season, had a comfort behind. They were down two sets to none against UMBC, who won the America East last year, went to the NCAA tournament, came storming back, won that match the last three sets. So they started 2-1. Men's soccer is off to a 1-0 start playing Temple uh, as we speak, uh, recording this episode on Monday night. So a really good start there. I think as as um, exciting and anticipated a fall sports season for Rutgers in a long time, all of those programs uh, making progress or poised to compete for championships. But of course, we go to football. Rutgers football kicks off this Thursday against Temple at uh, SHI Stadium, 6.30. First time fans will be able to witness Rutgers coming out of the tunnel with Greg Schiano as coach for the first time in a decade. Certainly an exciting time. Lots of hope going into this season. Lots of expectations uh, after a three and six year last year. Obviously a lot to be excited about. But, you know, as we discuss in this episode, I think uh, this rebuild is going to take time. So patience is certainly going to be important. Before we get to our guests, just kind of let in with the fall sports seasons. And and now that Shiano's back in football, obviously the winter sports uh, with both basketball programs, wrestling under Goodell gymnastics making progress, the spring sports really on the uptick, both lacrosse programs, baseball, track and field is, is uh, you know, I think going to really excel in the next couple of years. And then rowing has become a national power really out of nowhere under Justin Price. So I, I my point is we're going into the golden age of Rutgers sports or, or we can hope. And being that we are, uh, I you know, there's a lot of jokes going around about how many Rutgers podcasts there are out there. And, uh, you know, I just thought going into the season, my view is, hey, the more the merrier for Rutgers fans. If we're, we are uh, entering potentially a true golden era of Rutgers sports, why not have as many podcasts as possible uh, for fans to be able to, to engage with and, uh, and listen to? So, you know, I just wanted to point out that, you know, I, I think all of them have value. You know, Scarlet Spotlight with John Newman and, and Danny Breslauer is, is certainly uh, worth a listen. Every couple of weeks, I have great guests. The RU Screw Pod, I'll give a shout out to them, Adam Helfgott, 
Max Shiner and Mike Warnikov. Definitely uh, entertaining podcast uh, when they come out. Uh, the Rutgers rant, of course, is a must listen with Steve Politi, Keith Sargent, James Cratch. I really enjoy listening to them. 24-7 Sports Scarlet Nation has a podcast with um, Bobby Darren and uh, John Odersot. Richie Schneiderite with Rivals and uh, The Night Report has something. You know, our guest tonight for um, the Rutgers beat, Chris Eisman, is here. Uh, and he's going to introduce his new podcast, The Chop. Former Rutgers beat writer Ryan Dunleavy is starting a Rutgers podcast as well with uh, the Rutgers Football Report on the Prime Sports Network. And then you even have a couple New Jersey podcasts that have popped up. Boardwalk Sports Talk is a very entertaining podcast as well. has a lot of Rutgers guests. And then you have Throwing One Back as well. I've appeared on that podcast in the past as well. So my point is, I think it's an exciting time for Rutgers sports, but it's also an exciting time for Rutgers fans. But getting on to uh, the task at hand, Temple this week, happy to uh, have Sam Cohn, who's a, a beat writer for Philadelphia Inquirer, as well as Owl Scoop. And then on the Rutgers side, we're going to talk to Chris Eisman. So in order to get us ready for Thursday's uh, season opener, uh, we're going to talk to both reporters now. It's now my pleasure to welcome in Sam Cohn of the Philadelphia Inquirer and Owlscoop.com of the Rivals Network, who covers Temple football on a regular basis. Sam, thanks so much for being here. Yeah, I appreciate you having me. Thanks so much. So college football is back. Uh, big matchup for th- this Thursday, Rutgers-Temple, former Big East foes. A little bit of a, a struggle for Temple last season, a 1-6 finish, obviously during the COVID year. A lot of roster turnover. Uh, what are your initial impressions of this team heading into this season? I think that's a good question, and it's kind of a hard one to answer where we're at right now. It feels like in terms of diagnosing what Temple football is, there needs to be some kind of like we, we need to be able to see them play. I think once we get through game one, because there's so there's been so much uh, there's been a lot, a decent amount of roster turnover. They're a young team. They had a handful of guys that played pretty prominent roles. They had a number of starters transfer out after last year and a handful of guys transfer in. Most prominently will be their starting quarterback, Dewan Mathis, the incoming transfer uh, from Georgia. So he's one. I mean, when you think about that offense like in the receiver room they're returning Jaden Blue and Randall Jones two starters from last year that have that are both proven themselves uh in the backfield you have you know Ed Sadie's really going to probably take a majority of the carries against Rutgers but they've said there's going to be a decent mix of you know then you look at Trey Blair Kyle Dobbins Tavon Ruley like their offense then you look you know tight end David Martin Robinson in a, in a lot of ways their offense is bringing back a number of the same guys but it all kind of comes back to having a new quarterback in a new system guys stepping up in roles and then coming off of what happened last year that's going to be the biggest thing uh for temple is which i think they've done a good job of and i think you know it's in preseason camp it's easy to say all that but being able to walk away from last season forget last season have a full off season have a full fall camp and then be able to go into this kind of with a fresh slate um because for a lot of these guys there were a handful a small handful of opt-outs there were guys that dealt with injuries. There were guys that got hurt, and as I said, transferred out. So there's a lot of questions, I think, heading into the season. But uh, expectations-wise, I think they're in an okay place where the guys they are returning can make improvements on what they were able to do last year and the year before, and the guys that they've brought in, it seems like the coaching staff has been pretty excited about. And talking about that offense, you know, there is a lot of stability there with the offensive line, which was, uh, I believe, had a, a conference low of sacks per game last year. Uh, like. And uh, a bunch of wide receivers back. Now you add the Georgia transfer quarterback. Talk about that new system that they're implementing and, and kind of what, what you've heard so far in terms of what to expect. So I think the offense is going to be 
quote unquote similar to what they've run in the past. The offensive coordinator Mike Gramovich uh, said during uh, during fall camp that what what they're hoping to do, the product on the field is going to be largely similar. They're just able to do a little bit more, if that makes sense. And that could just be coach speak. That could just be him saying, you know, it's going to be a lot of the same stuff. But in you know, in reality, they're going to be able to do a lot more when you look at the stark difference between a guy like Anthony Russo, who was their starting quarterback before he both got hurt and then dealt with COVID contact tracing last year, uh, and he, you know, they're starter prior to now they have a completely new quarterback in Dewan Mathis who has been praised for his ability to extend plays with his legs I forget who it was one of was one of the receivers someone someone in the offense had said during a media availability that he loves to throw the deep ball so he's a guy that I think is going to get fan if, if he lives up to the expectations of what teammates have said about him and his coach have said about him and you know the high level recruit that he was when he got to Georgia I think he could really be a huge part of this offense and really be an exciting piece for Temple fans to look out for um, this fall because it sounds like Dewan Mathis, from everything I've heard, it sounds like Dewan Mathis could be a serious game changer for them. The question is, it sounds like we really have to see A, him actually prove that product on the field, but B, because he's, he's in a very new system. And we heard when they were the first half of their preseason camp, they did in the Bronx at SUNY Maritime. Uh, and then they came back and did the other half in North Philly. So there was one point during the scrimmage kind of earlier in preseason camp that they had said like the offense really didn't look good. And, you know, coming into a new system, Dewan Mathis is prone to mistakes. It's, it's a, it's a not an easy transition. He hasn't played a whole lot of football in the last two years. So on paper, He's a great addition from what we've heard. He's done a lot of great things. He separated himself back in the spring and was named the starter way ahead of Rod Carey's original plan to name a starter. So from everything we've heard, it sounds like he could be a real piece that could take that could take that offense to the next level. The question is, you know, we just have to see him prove that on the field with whether it's, you know, questions at running back or receiver and kind of meshing that group together, if that makes sense. Well, thanks, Sam. You're definitely putting the fear of God into Rutgers fans with a, a raw quarterback. <laughs> Rutgers is a terrible <laughs> against athletic quarterbacks that can run and extend plays and, and make big plays down the field. So we'll see what happens. But uh, certainly certainly a player that could, that could come out swinging and, and uh, you know, Rutgers could almost be uh, a little bit knocked off their feet going against a, a quarterback of his talent. Uh, just shifting to the defense, a lot of turnover along the defensive line, which uh, was a strength last year. Uh, mm-hmm. What are kind of the, the strengths of this defense going in and what are some of the concerns? I mean, the biggest thing is going to be depth. Uh, The coaching staff had said that they're looking to rotate eight to 10 guys on the defensive line. Um, They just lost Evan Boozer, defensive end, to uh, an ACL tear from last week, which I think he would not have been a projected starter, but a guy that would have seen legitimate, significant reps and would have rotated in a ton. So now you're looking to transfer Will Rogers from Washington State. So you have a new starter on the, at defensive end. You have uh, a new starter at nose tackle, Jaquavian Mahone. A guy like Nick Baggs, who didn't play much of, much at all last year, but has put on a ton of weight uh, over the offseason. He was called now a 300-pound man. And then you're returning Manny Walker on the other side, defensive end. So you have Manny Walker returner, Nick Baggs, who didn't play a ton last year, and then two new starters on the defensive line. So you're seeing some new faces, but the biggest strength for them is going to be if the depth that they've preached holds up. If they're able to go too deep when guys like, you know, Leighton Jordan or, you know, if someone like Dysher Clary is able to to step up on the guys on the defensive end. So I think that for the for the defensive, uh, the defensive line specifically, if they're able to prove that depth is there and they're able to have those rotations, then that could be great for them. But they're following in some pretty big footsteps of, you know, someone like Dan Archibong and then uh, obviously Ifan Maje, you know, transferred to Rutgers was pretty, uh, pretty productive for them. Nick Baggs is a name Rutgers fans know well, former commit to the program. So uh, it should be interesting to see how he does 
kind of his first big moment for Temple. Just talking about that, you know, Rutgers has three transfers from Temple on the roster this year. Fran Brown, obviously a very well-respected, successful assistant. Uh, What's the word or vibe, I guess, around Temple fans, maybe the program, just in terms of what this matchup means? Uh, And, and, you know, obviously... uh, Temple wants to start off well for the season, but uh, there's definitely some enough ties between the two programs. It feels like a, a big game uh, for, for a non-conference game. Well, I'll tell you this. No one in Temple's program will say anything on the record that has anything to do with the fact they know that they're playing someone that was once in their building. Someone asked Rod Carey today, and which, which uh, you know, to be frank, I respect, but, you know, someone asked Rod Carey today, like, well, you know, what is that? is there any extra juice, any extra motivation going into a game like that? And who knows if he actually feels that way, but he said, we're not thinking at all about that. It doesn't mean anything. They left. We're happy that they're happy. He said something along the lines of coach has been doing it forever. Now players can do it. If they feel they can be successful elsewhere, that's great for them. But I mean, when you think about Temple over the last year with the number of transfers, transfers out, their mentality has really shifted. And the coaching staff has had this, you're either with us or you're not mentality. And in year three of Rod Carey's tenure at Temple, that's important because he's really establishing who he is as a coach. And Temple has not had a coach stay for an extended period of time. This is, he's Since I got to Temple, he's the fourth coach. Well, I guess third. I got to Temple right after the Matt Rule era. So it was Matt Rule or middle to Jeff Collins era, I guess. But you think about like Matt Rule and Jeff Collins and Manny Diaz and now Rod Carey. It's four coaches in you know six, seven years, whatever it is. So the, he's really working to be able to be able to establish that culture. And I think having more now in year three of a large a greater number of guys that his staff recruited in a guys the guys that his staff brought in along with being able to grow that culture as i said that's the biggest thing is like we're not thinking about them we're thinking about us and that's you know rod carey saying that so i think if you t- if you think about the coaching staff and the players they're probably not thinking a whole lot or at least they won't admit they're thinking of a whole lot about it but for fans there's definitely something there of uh, of, of it's going to be like matchups to look out for or guys to keep an eye on especially, you know, when that, when that game kicks off on Thursday night. And just asking your take on uh, Efiana Meha, uh, 2019 made all-conference uh, with Temple, had a little bit of a down year last year. What was really the difference with him, and, and how do you think he, he will do uh, moving up to the Big Ten playing for Rutgers? That's a good question. So Ifan Maje two years ago was extremely productive um, for Temple. He was a big part of why that defensive line was so successful. Uh, Last year was a little bit of a down year and every game felt like he was like once he was, oh, the next game he'll turn things around. The next game he'll turn things around because he really did take a dip uh, in terms of productivity and, you know, his, his ability to, um, to rush the quarterback. But now, correct me if I'm wrong, I think he's going to be a backup. He's a backup on the defensive line. He should see, I'm, I would imagine he'll see, he'll see reps. I'm a, I would imagine he'll, he'll be able to make that transition. And, but I, I can't say I have a great answer for that just because it's been such an odd. The, the two years that I've really covered him closely the last two years have been so different. Uh, whether you attribute that to the strange, strange year that Temple, the, you know, the, the trials and tribulations that Temple went through during the COVID season or not, I don't think they're, they're, anyone's going to be making excuses, but it's realistically speaking, they dealt with a lot. Like, I'm not sure how much you can chalk up to that or whatever, but I think if you're Ifan Maja, you're, you're looking yourself in the mirror and you're saying, I didn't perform the way I wanted to last year. Last year was what it was. They only Temple only played seven games. But now transferring um, to Rutgers, he's transferring to the Big East. It's uh, it's it's a different world. Yeah, Maje got named to the two deep today. It was just released. Uh, he's the backup for Mayana uh, Hanatu, uh, transferred to Minnesota. But I, I I think everyone expects him to play a lot for Rutgers. And mm-hmm. similar to Temple, they're going to rotate a lot of guys on the line too. So it'll be interesting to see if he can respond. 
Just in terms of overall expectations, Temple was picked 10th out of 11th in the preseason poll for the AAC. What are the expectations for the program in Carey's third season, and, and what do you expect out of them this season? So I want to uh, I want to give credit where credit is due. My uh, Kyle Gauss, who is on our staff at Al Scoop, he's the assistant editor. I say on our staff as if I'm like above him in the rankings. He was like partly <laughs> hired me. Uh, he's the assistant editor at Al Scoop, and he made a great point. Or he's kind of said this a handful of times on our podcast that anybody who has said anything about what their prediction is for Temple, you know, like thinking about over the summer or the start of fall camp, has no idea what they're talking about because. It's hard to really make a, uh, it's hard to really nail down a, a prediction like that when we haven't seen a whole lot of them and we don't fully know what to expect of them. With that being said, I think that that them being ranked 10th in the uh, in the conference preseason rankings, it 1000% puts a chip on their shoulder. And I think a lot of it speaks to the struggles that they went through last year. But if you're, whether you're a Temple fan, uh, thinking subjectively, whether you're cover, uh, covering a team like myself and you guys will be Thursday covering them objectively, it's hard to make any sort of, it's hard to make any legitimate correlation between what Temple it was a year ago and what they are now based on both transfers, what they dealt with with COVID, the number of injuries, they played a number of underclassmen. I don't have the numbers off the top of my head, but from game one to game seven, the amount of freshmen and redshirt freshmen they played, they played a walk-on, they started a walk-on quarterback by the end of last season. So it's hard to really make those comparisons of last year to this year, but I think it'll be at least, uh, I, I, I think 10 feels low, but I'm not, by no means do I feel like they're at the level where they're at an eight or nine win team. They could be a year away from being a legitimate contender in the conference, but I think it's fair to say they're probably a four or five, maybe even six win team. And obviously, like you said, you know, opening game of the season, very hard to predict uh, normally. Just in terms of this matchup with Rutgers and, and what you know of Temple, what, what do you think the keys are for them going into this game and this matchup? Rutgers is a good team. I think it's going to be a tough matchup and a tough challenge for Temple. In terms of keys to the game, and I don't want to take like a cop-out answer here, but I think continuity on offense is going to be really important. If they can find uh, a rhythm offensively, because it felt like last year Temple struggled to get any kind of rhythm with guys getting hurt, dealing with you know switching quarterbacks in and out. Uh, they didn't have a whole lot of continuity on that side of the ball. So if they're able to, fit, to kind of work things out and limit their mistakes – then I think that's going to be huge for them. If Dewan Mathis is able to go out and have a solid game, I, he's not, it's his first game with Temple. I'd be shocked if he played mistakeless football. But I think if he can sort of get into a rhythm with guys like Jaden Blue and Randall Jones on the outside, if their running back rotation sort of works, a quote-unquote works, then I think that would help them. But And I say works because that's a really interesting question mark around this team is they had two incoming transfers, neither of whom are on there too deep one who's away from the team for personal reasons and one who they said has taken a little bit longer to kind of pick up on the game plan just due to an injury over the offseason. Their running back rotation is essentially Ed Sadie, Trey Blair, Kyle Dobbins, and Tavon Ruley. And they've said a lot of guys are going to see a lot of snaps week one because they haven't really ironed out. No one's separated themselves in that way. They're okay having that rotation. So you could see two, three, maybe even four guys takes, uh, take snaps from that backfield. So I think my, my key to the game is some sort of continuity offensively. I mean, you could argue both sides of the ball, but I think that's going to be my, uh, I hope that's not too much of a cop-out answer, but if, if DeJuan Mathis is able to have a good game and kind of get into the flow of things and get into a rhythm with those guys, it'll at least be a ball game. You know, again, this is tough because there is so much uncertainty, but just last question, just in terms of how do you expect the game to play out? Not asking for a prediction per se, but just in terms of 
them coming in, road game, first game with fans in over a year, uh, obviously a new system. Anything I guess you're concerned about uh, from a Temple perspective and uh, how do you see the opening game uh, going? Well, Temple isn't known for being the best team on the road, uh, so there's that. They haven't played Rutgers since I think 2013 was the last time they played Rutgers, so it's obviously a lot of new. It's not like they're looking at film from a year ago or it's not like week four and they're looking at film from two weeks ago or last week or whatever, first game of the season. I'm sure it's going to like, there's going to be some kind of adjustment period of like once they get in, it's going to, you know, they're going to play it safe the first couple of plays, maybe whatever that looks like. In terms of, I don't, I don't necessarily have like a, a strong prediction to give you, but in terms of the way the game plays out, I think it'll be close for the first half. And I, my, my guess is Rutgers probably pulls away. I, I don't, I don't know if I see a way Temple wins this game. They might make it competitive, but I think Rutgers is probably the, from, of what I know of Rutgers, I would imagine, I, I think that um, Rutgers is the better football team and uh, it'll be close, but I think Rutgers wins this game. Sam Cohen, beat writer for the Philadelphia Inquirer and Alice Sam, thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate all your insight and uh, looking forward to Thursday. And uh, thanks so much for, for everything. Awesome. Thank you guys so much for having me. Appreciate it. All right. Now to talk Rutgers football. It's my pleasure to welcome in Chris Eisman, second year on the Rutgers beat for USA Today Network, New Jersey. Chris, thanks so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Aaron. I appreciate it. It's good to be here. So obviously uh, last year was a little bit different with COVID. It was different also for, for how we covered the team, limited access, no practice time. Coach Greg Shiano really, I think, done a good job in terms of opening things up for access this summer. What are your overall impressions of camp? You've seen this team uh, three or four times a week for the last month or so heading into the season opener this week. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you mentioned it. it it's been so nice to, to actually be in front of the coaches and, and the players and be able to have in-person conversations. I mean, that was such a difficult thing last year to do everything through WebEx. So it's been great to be at practice. I've been at every um, you know practice that's been uh, you know open to the media. I've been at every one. You know, I think the things that have really struck out stuck out to me is that Practice is very, it's just, it's such an orderly process. I mean, everything is timed down to the second. Um, it's kind of like what you would, you know, everybody who I'm sure experienced Greg Shiano practices the first time, it's what you would expect, right? Every detail is accounted for. Uh, there's no second wasted. So that has really stood out to me. And it's just, you know, it, it's, it's, I'm really interested to see, because you can throw away last year's training camp, right? I mean, that was barely even a training camp. So I'm really interested to see how now this full, you know, Shiano 2.0 camp, uh, how it translates to, to the season and, and to the games, I should say, once the, uh, you know, they hit the field against Temple on Thursday. So, you know, that's always kind of really stuck out to me. So it's, it's I'm, I'm intrigued to see what it's going to look like. Rutgers released their first step chart of the season today, uh, the two deep for Temple. Uh, any surprises, anything that kind of stuck out to you from from a depth chart perspective? Yeah, you know, it's interesting, Aaron. I mean, there were, there were so many starters coming back. I mean, I, I don't think, you know, I – I kind of put something up, um, you know, kind of predicting the depth chart and, and there really weren't a ton of surprises. I mean, maybe I think you could look at Cedric Pallant and say that maybe that was a, a, more of a surprise at, at, at guard, um, getting the starting spot, but, you know, Felter backing up criminal center. So, you know, I, th- I guess that was a surprise, but honestly, for the most part, I wish I could say that I was, <laughs> I was more stunned by something. I wish that there was something more interesting that I could say like, wow, that was, that's a shocker. But there really isn't. I mean, it, it, it was pretty straightforward. And we were actually talking about it today at practice that I think for the most part, it's kind of what we expected. Classic Shiano. I think the linebackers and defensive line there a little bit, the way it reads on the depth chart might not be exactly the way. <laughs> that's quite, that's absolutely true. Things are going to be, but, uh, you know, I, I thought, and, and of course we got the or on the backup quarterback battle. Hopefully we don't have to find that out on uh 
uh, on Thursday, unless, you know, of course, the game is out of hand in a good way. But uh, okay. we'll see. Just talking about quarterback, you know, Noah Vedral obviously did a lot of good things last year, had some things to work on, well-liked by his team. What do you think in terms of him as a leader, but also how much uh, development he, he's going to be able to show and kind of growth this season in his second year as a starter? Yeah, I mean, I, I, starting off with him as a leader, I mean, he's impressive. There's, there's no question about that, especially since this is only his second year in the program after, you know, transferring from Nebraska. He has really, I think, quickly earned the respect of his coaches, of his teammates. Um, obviously, he was just named one of the 16 captains. And you got to remember, too, that when he came over from Nebraska, it was a difficult situation. I mean, you joined a new program in the middle of a pandemic. It's tough to get to know any of your teammates. So you even throw that into the mix and, and, and that factor. And it's even more impressive what he's been able to do in that time. I think he's a really impressive leader. You know, you speak to him. I actually did a story um, kind of about some of his leadership qualities and, and he gets it. Like he just understands, like, you know, he said to me that there's a difference between being a leader and being an effective leader. And I've really tried to kind of own my message and, and, and make sure that I'm getting through to guys. It's one thing to say something, but are they really listening to it? Are they really grasping what I'm telling them? And I think what's also interesting is that he's able to kind of relate to all the different position groups. You know, he wants to be a coach when his playing days are over. And you can kind of see that that's a role that he's going to be really good at. And then if he pursues that, and then in terms of just him on the field, yeah, I mean, I think obviously we all know that he, he did, he had the type of season that a lot of Rutgers quarterbacks would have liked to have had in previous years. Right. I mean, he, he was third in the big 10 with his, 61.5 completion percentage, you know, through for 1200 yards, nine TDs. I mean, he had a solid season and, and obviously he dealt with some injuries that, that held him back a little bit. It's going to be really interesting now to see kind of how he evolves again, a full year in strong Gleason system that continued chemistry with a, a deep group of receivers. I, I think that that's going to be one of the bright spots for this team is that receiving core. So it's going to be interesting to see how that chemistry kind of how that translates once the, once the game starts. So, you know, I, I think that he's capable of, of really, you know, being a consistent, solid quarterback. I mean, obviously we know that he has some limitations, you know, his arm strength isn't, uh, I think what a lot of people would like, but I think he finds ways to make up for it. So I'm interested to see how he's, what he's able to do this year. Obviously, a big key to his growth is uh, the development of the offensive line. A lot of shuffling uh, in the offseason uh, with guys in different spots. Uh, like you mentioned, a little bit of a, a surprise with Kanye uh, starting at, at guard. You know, I, I was really impressed with Brian Felter last year. I really uh, think that he has a lot of potential. But if you look at the, the backups for that line, I mean, it's there's a lot of an experience on there. How, how concerned should Rutgers fans be about the offensive line coming into this season? Well, I think it's a concern, no question. I mean, I think it has to be, right? I, I think, you know, it's interesting. I mean, Greg Schiano has, has not downplayed the fact that that is going to be, you know, really one of the biggest questions this year. And, and it has to got, get better. There's, there's no doubt about it. You know, I think it, it surpassed expectations that line last season, but it still wasn't where it needs to be. It really wasn't even close. And I think it's maybe closer now. It, it has improved, but it's still not what, you know, they need to be, especially going up against some of these big, big 10 defensive lines. That's going to be something that's going to be so interesting to watch all year. That was a, a real area of weakness when Shiano and the coaching staff came in. It's something that obviously you look at the class of 2022, trying to reload it, but that's that's for another day. That's for another season. They got to deal with right now. I would say it's a concern. It's, it's one of the biggest concerns on this team, one of the biggest question marks. And, you know, we'll, we'll kind of see how that develops. I, I think some of you're right. And, and there's not a lot of depth there and, and there is a lot of inexperience. One, one guy that I'm kind of intrigued to see is, is just Holland Pierce. I mean, you know, Shiano has really spoken about how, how far he's come and, and kind of what he's been able to do with his development. You know, 6'8", 325. 
I mean, I think that's a great story. So that's something that I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, when he gets his opportunities. Yeah, absolutely. Great point on him. I think, you know, obviously we know Big Ten's one in the trenches. Um, I think the defensive line, while there's a lot of talent up front there, I, you know, my concern is just the depth in terms of rotation, you know, uh, being able to have eight to 10 reliable guys uh, throughout the season. We've seen the Rutgers defense, you know, quite often over the last few years, you know, really hold up well in the first half of games and get worn down in the second half of games. I really think it comes down to the line. You know, what are your thoughts on the defensive line, where they're at, and um, how good do you think they'll be able to be this year? No, I would, I would honestly, I would, I agree with everything that you said. I mean, I think the depth is again, you know, an issue. They, they do like to rotate guys through there. You know, you have a guy like Mike Tavertoff. We all know what he can do. He's a vet at this point. Uh, Mayan Ahana, too, I think has really impressed them. He he was solid last year after coming over from Minnesota. He's known Greg Schiano a long time from going back to their Berkeley prep days together. So I think that he, you know, he's an interesting player. He find my J, um, the Temple transfer. He's he's an explosive kid. I think he he can do some good things there, backing up uh Mayan. And then obviously Julius Turner. I'm interested to see kind of how he continues to take steps forward. Um, as that tilted nose position, obviously he did well that last year, but you're right. There's, there's definitely a lack of depth there. So that's going to be, you know, a, a definite question, but I think overall, I, I think that's a pretty solid group. The starters at least are, are pretty solid. I, I think that's, I think they have the chance to be a pretty consistent line. Yeah. And having uh, coach Jim Panagos back from uh, knee surgery last year, I think it will obviously have a, a positive influence as well. The secondary, you know, I think, Kind of similar to the defensive line. I think the starters are really good. I think the, the question mark is we know that Rob Smith and Chiano like to play more than four uh, defensive backs at a time. What have you seen from the depth there? And, and who do you think that maybe might surprise people in terms of being able to step up? Yeah, I mean, I thought Max Melton played, you know, last well last year as a, as a freshman. I mean, I'm interested to see what he can do. Um, obviously, we saw, you know, what Izzy and did late last season. He really came on with those four picks in the final three games. And so I'm, I'm kind of, you know, I think that he has a chance to have a really big year. Avery Young, obviously, sliding over from corner at safety. Um, you know, I think that he's a versatile player. So he's going to be, I think he's going to be kind of all over there in the secondary. So I, you know, I, it, it was, it's a move, but he'll, he'll find time at quarter, I'm sure. So I think that the secondary has a chance to be solid. Obviously, we know Trey Avery. But again, as you said, the depth it comes back to it, you know, can, can the, you know, what, what the, that's where the concern comes in. So that's, that's definitely a question. So this is maybe a, an unfair question, but you know, last year, like you said, you know, all the calls were on WebEx this year, you've had a chance to be around the coaching staff, see Shiano a lot more up front. What, what is your kind of impression of his kind of vibe going into this season? You know, he's, I think he's made an effort to really kind of downplay expectations you know, and I think it's maybe a little hard to read whether that's, you know, he's trying to keep expectations down for a reason or he's also trying to, you know, wants to be able to surprise teams a little bit uh, in year two, which is obviously harder than his first year. How, how do you think going into his mind a little bit, how he's feeling about things going into the season? Yeah, look, I think that, you know, downplaying expectations in a lot of ways kind of is the right thing to do. I mean, I actually have, a, a, you know, something later this week. Basically, like this was always going to be a multi-year project. You know, the, the rebuild is definitely, I think, farther along than people expected and going into the second season of his return. But this is still going to take time. It's going to take getting his recruiting classes in, developing the kids that they brought in with the 2021 class. You know, that they're still definitely kind of dealing with the continuing to try and rebuild this thing with the players that they already that they inherited from the previous regime. Um, there's definitely talent there, but they're not where they want to be yet. That's still going. So I think downplaying expectations is, you know, they won three big 10 games last year, but what really did that mean in a season like that? And, and I think for a lot of people, 
not a lot, but I think some people are kind of saying, well, if they did it last year, then they'll do it again and they'll win the three non-conference games and then boom, a bowl game. It's right. not that easy. It's not going to happen like that. You know? So I don't think that a bowl is how you define this season. I think it just has to be continue to kind of continue the trajectory, continue the momentum. So in some ways I do think that downplaying expectations, whether or not it's a, it's a, you know, he's trying to do it strategically or not, or just, he's just being honest about where he feels like this program is. I don't know, honestly, you know, I'm not, I don't, I'm not inside his head, but I think that that's honestly what I would do at this point and, and kind of what I think is the right move. So just kind of jumping off of that, a couple more for you, but, um, you know, basement ceiling for this team this year, like you said, I agree that progress won't, shouldn't be solely judged by record, but what I guess what key parts of the schedule do you look at as really, you know, essential for them to be able to make that jump and potentially be in bowl contention? Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, the three non-conference games, you got to win all of them. I mean, in my opinion, I think that they will. I think that they're not easy. You know, Temple is not an easy non-conference uh, team to open up with. They've got some talent. And Syracuse, I think, will be improved. And then Delaware is not a terrible FCS team. But so this, I still think that Rutgers will win all three of those. And then obviously, you know, you look at that Michigan State, Northwestern, Illinois. You know, we saw Illinois the other day. Tough to read because they played Nebraska. And obviously, we know about Nebraska at this point. So I think that that's that's a stretch where they could get some wins. Obviously, you know, if if you're in position... If you have, if you manage to get five wins going to that Maryland game, maybe that's an opportunity to get a sixth. But again, that's that's asking a lot at this point. So I, I think that that's th- those are the games that you kind of look at and see those are winnable, you know. But obviously, there's some tough stretches too. The Wisconsin, Indiana, Penn State—that's a grind. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's my concern for the team is just depth towards that second half of the stretch. I think, you know, Michigan and Ohio State back to back is never good. I think from a physical standpoint, they always seem to get a little beat up out of that and going into a, a really difficult second half schedule. I think, you know, Wisconsin and Northwestern, I think, is also uh, significantly harder than Purdue and Nebraska last season. So just shifting gears, winding down here, Temple. Obviously, a huge game for both teams to set the tone for the season. Temple, you know, had a terrible year last year. A lot of roster turnover. A lot of transfers have come in. You know, what do you think some of the keys of the game for Rutgers facing Temple? First home game in front of fans in two years. And really just a tone setter for the season. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, the quarterback, you know, he's a Georgia transfer. He didn't get a ton of time there last year, Dewan Mathis, um, but he's talented. He's, he's not a bad quarterback at all for, for you know, Temple. He, he can he can do some damage, and Shiano actually knows a lot about him because he was committed to Ohio State back when Greg was there uh, working for Urban Meyer. So Shiano has, has some familiarity with him. The offensive line is very experienced. They returned something like 127 combined career starts. So that's, that's probably the strength of their team in a lot of ways. And then they're two good receivers, uh, you know, Jane Blue and Randall Jones. Those are pretty solid guys too. So they're going to test the secondary out. So they, they've got some good players on both sides of the ball. There's no doubt about it. But I do think that Rutgers should be able to, you know, take care of this win. But it won't be, you know, I, there's no question about it. It won't be an easy win. I think it's almost like Rutgers is a victim of their the success they did have last year, and and you know the off season can uh, you know erase some memories of of some some struggles they did have, and I think you know people seem to think that this Temple game is going to be a blowout, and uh, mm. of course it could be, but it's going to uh, be interesting. It could go either way. I think having a little adversity early on, and you know having a tough first game could actually help them in the long run. So uh, last question, put you on the spot. You know, how do you think this team will ultimately do this year record-wise? So I'm going five and seven. I've said five and seven. I'm going to stick with five and seven. I think that they'll win all three non-conference, and then they'll find a way to win two Big Ten games. 
whether that's some combination of maybe Maryland, maybe they can beat Michigan State again. But I'm, I'm going with five and seven, on, and so far I'm sticking with it. Well, Chris Eisman, thank you so much. I know you have a new podcast coming out, so I wanted to give you an opportunity to promote that. Oh, I appreciate that. Yeah, we have um, – it's called The Chop. It's um, – it comes out on every Wednesday throughout the season. So it's a lot of fun to do. It's, it's good to, you know, kind of talk about the team in a different way and, and not just, uh, you know, writing. So we're trying new things, and we're recording episode two tomorrow. We'll be previewing the game as well. So it should be fun. I appreciate you uh, letting me to make that plug. Absolutely. Chris Eisman from USA Today Network, New Jersey, second year on the beat. Thanks for uh, your insight tonight. Uh, great coverage of, of Rutgers overall and uh, look forward to, to touching base during the season. Thanks so much to this episode's guests, Sam Cohn of the Philadelphia Inquirer and Chris Eisman of USA Today Network, New Jersey. Both gave great insight on Temple and Rutgers heading into the season opener this Thursday night. Exciting time here for Rutgers to, to really kick off a season that, who knows, if all things go well, uh, if, if everything turns the right way, uh, certainly could be in bowl contention. You know, I, I got a little bit of flack today. I put my prediction out there and I, I predicted four and eight. You know, and I don't mean that in a negative way. I think this team can make a lot of progress this year, um, but it might not necessarily translate to uh, many more wins compared to last year. But a lot to be excited about the future of this program, about what they can do this year. So much experience back uh, and, and arguably the greatest coaching staff we've ever had. So lots to be excited about. We'll be previewing uh, each game weekly, as well as uh, we're up to about 56 articles on our preseason story stream on thebanks.com. You can check us out on Twitter, OTB underscore SB Nation. Uh, we're also on Instagram and Facebook as well. We'll be back soon with another episode, but thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much for reading. It's an exciting time here heading into the fall season and the 2021-2022 academic school year for Rutgers Athletics here on the Banks. Follow On the Banks on Twitter at OTB underscore SB Nation and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Just search On the Banks Podcast.